Hey everyone, Matt Wakeling here. You are listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. Now today we present one of our in replay episodes where we dig deep into our five plus years of podcasting and pull out one of our favorite episodes. And today we revisit the conversation with Troy Cassadaly, fantastic Australian musician and a wonderful, wonderful guitar player. In fact, you'll hear all about it as he plugs his rig in for this interview and uh, pulls out some beautiful tones. This episode is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the Music Gear Marketplace Reverb. I am super excited about this film. The Pedal Movie features nearly 100 interviews with people like Steve Vai, Peter Frampton, Jay Mascus, Billy Corgan, and more, including some of our Guitar Speak podcast alumni like Dweezil Zappa, Sarah Lipstate, Johnny Barmer, and Brian Wampler. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit www.thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by Joe Elliott. Now, Joe is not only a fantastic guitar player, he draws on his years of experience as the ex-head of guitar at the Guitar Institute of Technology and also at the McNally Smith Music College. Here's a few words from Joe about the course. If you're tired of wading through hundreds of random guitar videos and just want to become a better player, Fretboard Biology is your answer. Fretboard Biology is a self-paced, college-level program that will give you the right instruction, in the right amounts, and in the right order. You'll learn the same information I taught to thousands of other guitar players over 30 years of teaching in top music colleges. If you want to make real progress with your guitar playing, then sign up for a free 7-day trial at fretboardbiology.com. Hi there, this is the Guitar Speak podcast produced here in Sydney, Australia. My name's Matt Wakeling and thank you so much for joining me. Now today for episode number 58, we speak to Troy Cassadaly, household name in Australia, a huge figure in the country music scene here. He's won multiple ARIA awards, Deadly Awards and a truck full of golden guitars. Now when I say a truck full, we're talking about three dozen. He's only just behind Slim Dusty. I believe in the all-time uh, tally record for the for the Golden Guitar Awards. Beyond all that, Troy is a guitar nut. He is so into it and a great player too. We get into that. We get the full guitar story and rig rundown in this episode. In fact, Troy was super gracious in that he set up his uh, live rig and his acoustics and his electrics amps affects the whole box and dice in his home studio up near Brisbane and uh, recorded the whole thing. So you might know a lot of these interviews happen over, over Skype or phone, um, but Troy recorded his end and sent me the, the audio file. So the audio quality is fantastic, which is just as well because his tones are unbelievably great. Man, there's vintage tellies, Frankenstein strats. We, we go through his entire pedal board and these beautiful Fender amps, plus his acoustic guitars. So it's a very special podcast today. All right, here we go. Let's check it out. Troy Cassadaly, welcome to the Guitar Speak podcast. Matt, thank you very much for having me. Great to talk to you. Mate, great to have you. Thanks, thanks for your time. You look busy. I was just following your social media and you are 
you had, I think, three or four sold-out gigs over the weekend. Yeah, it's been a, it's been a wonderful tour. It started August last year when we we launched a book and a record as well called Things I Carry Around, and mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I was undertaking actually, Matt. I think I, I bit off a little bit more than I could chew, but um, <laughs> but you know, that's normally how it is with music, I guess. You, you tend to sort of just you know try and give everyone the best you can and then take a break, you know. So we've just finished that whole tour, which has been spread out over the last eighteen months, which has been awesome. Okay, fantastic. So so going back, when did um, when did the guitar come into your life? Well, uh, we had an uncle of mine uh, who used to come up from Sydney and we lived in Grafton on the north coast of New South Wales and he would bring up a nylon string guitar with him and he just knew a couple of sort of, you know, really standard sort of chords and he was the first person that I heard ever play like a, like a blues riff, like a... That sort of thing. And we uh-huh. were engrossed. I'd never seen anything like that in my life. And <laughs> he left the guitar there and went back to Sydney a couple of times and we'd sneak in and, um, and strum a big bottom e, e string on it and then run like there'd been a ghost chasing us because we'd never heard anything like a guitar <laughs> and that was that was my first introduction to a guitar actually so it was um yeah quite quite interesting but then all my cousins uh started to take lessons with a lady up the road and they'd all come home with these amazing skills of playing chords and i got a feel I, I had the feeling at the time i was feeling like i was left behind so matt i thought you know i must go to this same lady and learn some at least some chords and that was the start of the lifelong love that's great. How old were you when you when you picked it up? I was ten. They, all my cousins started when I was about nine, and they they used to sort of come home and just talk about how good it was at these lessons. So I decided it was time to go and try. And at the ripe old age of ten, I decided I'd go along with a hand-me-down guitar that one of my cousins gave me because I couldn't afford to go and buy a guitar. Um, it, it, unfortunately, it was like from a girl given from, given to me from a, from a, by a girl, and um, it had a couple of little flower stickers and stuff on it that I tried to scratch <laughs> off. But I was sort of stuck with that, <laughs> and, um, yeah. and it was just you know the best thing they could have given me really was just this little hand me down thing that would make a noise, and I started to learn with that. That's awesome. Do you uh, do you remember some of the early songs you learnt? Yeah, it was all really simple stuff, you know. Um, like down by the station early in the morning. I think everyone must start on that, or <laughs> though, just two or three chords. It was only two at best at some of the ones she started us on, just to get our, our fingers into the first positions of like E and A and B seven. And she she saved the B seven obviously till a little bit later. Didn't want to scare us right <laughs> off. <laughs> but you know things That's with so D and true. D and. Yep. <laughs> I mean, B7, imagine learning yep. a B seven in your first couple of weeks. You would have given up for sure. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and the open F. Oh, open F! My goodness, that's, just that's the, the bar chord. The bar chord. Yeah, yeah. I, I've, I've always been scared of. <laughs> Even today, I get scared of it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Hey, I've read you were busking at Tamworth by the time you were twelve, so you must have got stuck right into it. Yeah, but the first couple of years, we decided that um, we'd make a trip to Tamworth when I was about 11 or 12, and um, we went and did a bit of busking, but the, the busking got a little bit more serious with each year that we went after that, and mm-hmm. um, I, I remember standing by myself outside of Cheaper Music, which was a, a music store, which is still in Tamworth, and um, all you needed was a, a place to go and stand, and they always had a guitar and a little music stand on the go if you wanted to bring a few lyrics or whatever, and, and I remember just making enough for a sandwich and a lemonade one afternoon and thinking to myself this is all right and and even though i repeated i repeated in you know, three or four songs because i'd running out my repertoire was pretty pretty minimal but um it was just exciting to to be able to play music not for the money but just to have people walk past and shake their head and go he's all right this little fellow you know we'll chuck a bit of money in and um you know seven dollars eighty or something it was that i made at the end of the day to me was a big deal you know 
Yeah. Oh, that's that's super exciting, especially at that age. When did oh, you yeah. um, when did you start writing your own songs? Oh, look, I started I think at about twelve or thirteen when I okay. I had a few you know what you'd call major heartbreaks in my life, and I decided it was time to <laughs> to, to write about it. And I, yeah. they were just awful, awful songs. And um, <laughs> I just remember that because of my my grounding with my teacher, who um, all my cousins went to. We were taught to finger pick, so most of the things that I'd write was sort of finger picking things, you know. And mm-hmm. she wouldn't allow a uh, a pick into the classroom. Oh, so, really? Wow. Y- yeah, yeah. She was pretty hardcore, Leonie Hayes, and, <laughs> and and and. But I think it was good for us because it, it forced us to actually to finger pick a little bit more and to be conscious of what was going on. Every now and then, I'd have one in my little King G school shorts, yeah. And I'd, I'd I'd drag it out and just you know actually use it as as a, as a pick, like you know doing those sorts of things. Those sort of things. And she'd go, yeah. okay, who's got the pick? <laughs> and and uh, it was just I was always guilty because I just loved holding onto a pick and I loved the strumming patterns. But the finger picking yeah. really was a, a part of the first songs that I wrote. And I'm really glad that I learned it, actually. Yeah. I've, I've noticed watching watching you play that, you you know, even if you're on a flat pick, you'll still uh, stick some hybrid sort of picking in. And perhaps that's a, uh, a carryover from that, from that time as yeah. well. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, I, I tried the thumb pick thing when, when I first started watching Tommy Emmanuel play. I, I really mm-hmm. wanted to, to, to go the whole thumb pick route, but gee, it got very complicated for me, Matt. I, I, I wasn't good enough or just, just, just didn't really have the, the ability to just continue to do, do the thumb pick thing. So I decided to make up some sort of a hybrid. And, um, and I think that th- that's been a part of, I guess, what I've done now all my life, all my career is that even when I play a bit of banjo or whatever now on stage and it's for a couple of songs, it's still I still use the same hybrid pick. I don't put the finger picks and everything on. I, it's a bit of a, a cheats way to do it, but it really is a, a, just a, a way to keep it comfortable within your own realms, you know? Yeah, sure. So I was really happy with that. Yep. Very cool. Now, you ended up... Uh, you, you probably came to the consciousness of most Australians who are around, I guess, by the mid-'90s, your, your solo career was starting to take off, but... What what was going on, say, between the twelve year old and then mid nineties when you when you sort of seem to have burst on the scene? Were, were you doing bands? Were you when did you go electric? What was the uh, what was your evolution as a player? Yeah, well, I I sort of went right through school. Uh, I wasn't really playing in bands because you know it was it was just a case of just mum was saying get through school, do the best you can. You know the same old thing you get told by your parents because I was an only child with my mum being a single parent. Um, you know, things were pretty tight at times, so you couldn't just expect to get an electric guitar. I had to save and save and save for an electric mm-hmm. guitar. Yeah. And that was when, when I finally did get to, you know, plug something into a little amp. And the first um, first thing that I actually got was a little Suzuki Les Paul copy. Oh, yeah, cool. Which, which was as far from country guitar as you could probably get, but I yeah. didn't know anything about what I was doing. And, and the little amplifier was a little Matra amp. Now, oh, yeah. they were an Australian made. I think they yeah, were made in Queensland, yeah. actually. Okay. And um, it was a little 10, 10 or 15 watt amp and a little transistor job. And, and that was my, my little rig, no pedals or anything, but we started to, to do a little bit more electric stuff at our end of year concerts at my guitar teacher's house. Okay. Yeah. And that was a, a real big step in the evolution of, of, of learning how to play because then I started to want to learn how to, to play some little lead breaks and things. And, and my teacher and a lot of the people around us, my cousins and them who were still learning, they were all really encouraging, you know. They were all sort of, we're all pushing each other to try and learn something. And we, I particularly loved um, uh, Dire Straits when I first heard 
that uh, the the big record with the national on the front of it, Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms, yeah, when yeah. I, yeah, when I first heard those really creepy guitar sounds, then I went back to things like, you know, um, early Dice Straits and things like that with Sultans of Swing and stuff like that. But I just really fell in love with what Knopfler was up to even on that Les Paul because I saw it on the film clip and I thought, that's like my guitar, you know, on the yeah. Money for Nothing clip. Yes. <laughs> and so we sat around, you know, nerding out on that, trying to work out little chord things and... I didn't realise the sort of amazing player Mark Knopfler was until I sort of got further into my teens. Mm-hmm. And then you realise that the complicated uh, way that he plays with his fingers with no pick and all that sort of stuff. So yeah. really, really good to have those people around as influences. Phil Emanuel obviously was a big influence and so was Tommy yep. all the way through. I, I kept referring back to them, especially Phil on electric. And then Tommy's electric tone was something that people... Uh, didn't take a lot of notice of at times too because they always classed him as an acoustic player. Yeah, right. But um, but Tommy's electric playing into a super reverb was something that I just loved. I loved his tone. He had a real... He, he phrased like a singer as well sometimes, Tommy. I think he'd listen mm-hmm. to a lot of singers. And, and that was that was what I started to emulate, I guess, when I was um, in that, those early teenage years. And then, then came the bands after I finished a TAFE course. So I did a cooking course, mate to yep. make sure I had something to fall back on. Yep, handy. And um, yeah, and then I went cutting fence posts and stuff like that and stayed right away from the chainsaw, did a lot of sort of outdoor work in between that. And then we, we got our little bands together on the North Coast of New South Wales and started touring. And I swapped out the Les Paul copy for a, a CMAR Strat, which was like an Ibanez relation, oh, I yeah. believe. Yeah, yeah. The CMAR. And um, I blew up the little Matra amp <laughs> and it, it, it sort of just died in, in the ring, basically. So I, I ended up looking for something. A friend of mine had loaned me a 68 Super Reverb. It was a Silver Face Super Reverb. Offender. Oh, wow. Awesome. And, um, and I remember the afternoon plugging that in as a, as a teenager, plugging the C-Mark a Strat copy into a valve amp, and, um, and I just turned it up at the back room at my house, and I just went, oh, wow. What have I been missing out on here? <laughs> and then I, I just had this epiphany, you know. I thought, okay, so I, I obviously seem to like Fender valve amps and single coil pickups. So that's where the journey really began, brother. <laughs> okay, <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's so good. Oh, scary. <laughs> <laughs> so who else were you listening to then? So with with I guess Dire Straits, that's that's sort of a rock thing, definitely. But um, and the Emmanuels, we we. Dead, dead set on country music by then as well. Oh yeah, I mean, look, the other, the other big part of my diet was obviously country music, and we were listening to a, uh, an electric guitar player that was playing with Merle Haggard uh, called Roy Nichols. And, oh yeah. Um, and Roy Nichols is someone that um, a lot of people have paid homage to, whether it be Brent Mason in Nashville, yeah. uh, whether it be Pete, Pete Anderson, maybe out of uh, Dwight Yoakam's band. Yeah. A lot of people who love a telecaster in in country music really did get inspired by roy nichols and mm-hmm. and i i was i was wondering why i couldn't really get the noises i wanted to get on roy nichols out of this les paul copy but once i plugged into that super reverb i realized i can go back to the stereo now and actually be halfway home to working out why his tone was a lot thinner and a, yeah, a lot right. more um a lot more jangly yeah. And I, that, that's what I did. I'd sat in front of the um, the stereo player, listened to Merle Haggard, and then I'd listened a lot to old Slim Dusty stuff, and I listened to Barry Thornton play. He had a big three three five, which was more along the lines of a back pickup of a Les Paul. You could actually make it sound like a little bit of a three three five because of the humbuckers, mm-hmm. and you could pick out those old melodies that Slim had. So there was a really broad range, and the Eagles figured a really big part of it as well because um, I loved listening to their harmonies, and they they to me they were really country. 
and I, I, I really got drawn into the Eagles very, very early as well. And so same with John Fogarty, actually. Awesome. Very cool. So, yeah, and there's a kind of rock kind of crossover um, in both of those acts as well, I guess. Yeah, they all had country-esque tinges, though, to me. And yeah, yeah. it was like when I hear the early one, early parts of what the Eagles were up to, and I'm pretty sure it might have been Bernie Leadon that was playing on electric guitar and he was playing banjo as well. Mm-hmm. He, he really was the, the stepping stone for a lot of the Eagles between uh, the country and the rock thing. Yeah. And then you'd listen to Fogarty, and even though I don't think he spent much time on the bayou, he really had this southern swamp thing going on that got me in. I don't know why. I'd never been to, to down in the bayou and all those places, but, um, but I really loved his, the way he played guitar and sang. I, I, I think, think I fell in love with just his phrasing as a guitar player made me realise that singers have s- certain phrasing when they play compared to really hot guitar players because I think singers take so much pride in what they do when they phrase lyrics. Um, they tend to um, equate that into their playing as well. So your, your early albums come out and then they're, they're greeted with a fair bit of success. There were ARIA awards and uh, the first of your golden guitars seem to, seem to stack up reasonably quickly in, in those mid-90s. <laughs> Which is, which is great. How much guitar playing were you doing then? I, everyone thought of you as the singer up the front, but um, how much guitar was yeah. on those records and, and were you doing live? Well, on the first, um, the first record, it was, a lot of it was me just mainly sitting in front of the, a couple of mics on acoustic guitar. And because it was, it was my whole you know, songwriting approach was mainly on acoustic guitar, that's what yep. I wanted to capture on the first record. It was very green. And um, I got Stuart French, a good mate of mine, who's a great country picker and jazz yeah, player, yeah. To, to come over. And he was living not far from me um, when I was recording on the Central Coast. And he came over and brought his Telecaster and, and just plugged in. And we all played along. I played, uh, I, I did the recordings with some good mates of mine, the Blue Healer Band, who were up in Maryborough. So we decided we had a bunch of songs. We'd go down there and try to make a record, you know. And, and that, was, that was the start of that. And then on the second record, I sort of jumped the gun and went straight to America and I did a little bit of acoustic on that but the rest of it was um, mainly Brent Mason playing electric all over it and I had a, a, a group of people that I used at Capitol Studios in LA as well so yeah. because I'd, I'd signed to Sony it was a really big leapfrog from Paris McLeod's little studio on the Central Coast mm-hmm. then over to Nashville and, and LA yeah, and doing wow. a record with, a, with a, a guy over there Steve Dorf who was a, an amazing writer and still is an amazing writer and um, I met him in, in a motel line and said, oh, what are you doing here? And he said, oh, I'm just waiting for all these crazy Australians to get out of my way so I can book in. <laughs> and, um, and, and we were part of a big group of people, myself and Gina Jeffries and Lee Kernigan were all in line. Yeah. And we, struck, we just struck up a conversation. And we knew about three or four people through publishers back in Australia. And he said, you should come out to LA and write sometime. And that was where I started um, putting songs together for the second record. And that's where I... I got a little bit lost guitar playing because I was just mainly just writing everything on acoustic. But by the third and fourth and fifth, I decided to go back and continue to make sure I played a fair bit more electric as much as I could too. Excellent. Tell me about um, having Brett Mason play on your second record. Oh, that was just a dream come true. I mean, we had done the first sessions we did uh, in one day in LA and we had Dean Parks and people like that on the guitar. Yeah, wow. And he was um, he was amazing to watch yeah. and uh, a bloke called George During was helping me with the acoustics. Mm-hmm. And then we ended up uh, over in Nashville and then I'd listened to Brent play on all the Alan Jackson stuff that really grabbed me and really early Brooks and Dunn. Um, I think he was he was just really ahead of his time. 
I remember hearing uh, a couple of interviews about him where he said the first few years of his career that he was told in Nashville that the, the theme of the whole thing for guitar playing was to go direct into the into the console oh, and wow. try and make it as, as smooth and silky and you know chorusy as you could and that was the 80s you know yeah right. and when he when he started making records with uh, people like Alan Jackson I think that was one of the last things he did before he went back to amps and just said to the the, the uh, engineers can I get back to just plugging into a black-faced amp, please, and some pedals? Because <laughs> it's, it's, it's not the tone that I really am enjoying here. Yep. And when I heard him plug in um, on those Nashville sessions that we did on that second record, I was totally mind-blown. And he'd been a hero and still is a hero to me um, on electric guitar. He's just, he's just an incredible player. He plays with a thumb pick, but he okay. can also flat, flat pick with it as well. So ah, he's okay. a, a monster telly player. But he's just as, as at home playing George Benson-style stuff too. Yeah, wow. Wow, so for you, so when you when you're sort of getting a bit pushing a bit more electric into the into the scope, what was your rig like back then? Well, really, really basic. Um, I, I used to carry one of those little um, BCB Boss pedal grey things around with me. Oh yeah, and yeah. I, I had just daisy chained about four or five outlets out of one of the one of those red pedals, which was the power outlet on the, yeah. the Boss yeah, the power setup. Thing. Yep. Yeah, all original grey. Uh, ended little uh, patch leads that, that everything came with with all the boss set up you know and and I think I was running a CS2 compressor at the front yeah and I was I was running out um, of that other thing to that red pedal into one of those old-fashioned tuners with a little slidey thing on it and that was an old uh, I think they were boss tuners as well one of the early ones they were like yeah. a little rectangle one and they used to I had one of those. fit next to the handle in those boxes yeah yeah right yeah. next to the handle so I yeah, plugged no into worries. that I mean, Lord knows, I didn't know anything about true bypass or anything, but I, I used to plug into that, out of that, into that red pedal, and, <laughs> and then, you know, daisy-chained all the power from this one big thing. Yeah. And I had a, a CS2. I think I had a, a, a Super Overdrive. Mm -hmm. I had two delays. I had one old uh, Marone-looking analog delay. Oh, yeah. And, and I had one of the, like, it wasn't really... I think it was a digital one, but it was more like a, an old Japanese one. Yeah, one of the DD5, I think it was, or DD6. Okay, yeah. And um, and that was pretty much the rig, you know. Um, the only overdrive I really had was one of the one of the um, super overdrive yellow pedals. I had a distortion. I had a DS1 for a while, but I swapped it with a mate for a yellow pedal because I thought the overdrive was a little bit more friendly on my ears. And, and yeah. I still believe that, I suppose. I, I still go for subtle overdrives instead of things that are stacked and cascaded and all that. And okay, I, I, yeah. I, do, I do enjoy that more. Yeah, cool. That that sounds like a pretty classic rig. Yeah, well, I, I kept them all. I, I inherited the whole lot from a yeah. bloke when I was doing doing a, a recording course in Lismore. And he came in and he said, who wants to buy all these pedals? He said, because I've just found something that can do everything they do and it goes on your belt. Oh, and I just went, yeah, yeah. A little soon. yeah, I just went, right, this is awesome. I said, how much do you want from me? He said, I want $300 for the whole lot, you know. And I said, yeah, I'll take them. Thank you. I'll have to save up until next week, but I'll, I'll give you 100 this week because I was on very little money. Uh -huh. And he, he, had, he had one of these Zoom things yeah. <laughs> on his belt. And within two weeks, he came back to me wanting to buy all his pedals back. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what, didn't it work for you? And he said, oh, look, he said, there's nowhere near the warmth and the delays. And, he, and I said, look, I, I really want to hold on to these. I said, because these are the first pedals that I've owned. And, and he said, yeah, no worries. So he went down to the secondhand shop and bought a whole bunch more yeah. and put them back on a, on a rack because I think that he just realized you can't really get those pedal sounds out of those little tiny... Um, yeah. You know, multi-effects things. Yeah, yeah. There's good fun in in the old school pedals. It's such a good time for pedals right now as well. I'm, I'm 
We'll, uh, we'll end up talking about your electric rig you've currently got that you've, you're all set up. I'm really keen to hear that. Hey, tell me about your acoustic. Are you playing your Takamini for us at the moment? Yeah, look, I've, I've had um, a Takamini that I've got in front of me here. It's a, a P69BSB, and I'm only reading that out of the sound hole, mate, because I'm not very good with model numbers. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I, I bought this a while back, and because they've endorsed me for years, but I, I, I always like to make sure I, I buy some of them at cost, because if I want extra ones, it's just great to have another couple of guitars around. But yeah. this one in particular is the same sort of Sunburst model, all maple, that, um, that Bruce Springsteen plays. Okay, cool. And it's, it's a lot less beat up as Bruce's, but the thing I wanted to try was something that was a little bit more bright and, and it was all maple. Mm-hmm. And I'd never had a, an all maple guitar. I, I looked, you know, who can afford a J200 from the, from the 50s? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. The, the look of those. So this thing, I just, I just really love the feel of it. I had it refretted at the beginning of the year uh, by a, a bloke who builds guitars down around Kempsey in, in the mid-north coast in New South Wales. Mm-hmm. And it came back a different guitar, Matt. It, it had slightly higher frets but rung like a bell. And I've got just 50, uh, 30, I think 13 to 56s on it. So it's just, it just really strums nice. And, and any, anything rhythmic like that you want a capo. Tommy taught me how to put the capo on, you know, when you keep the, um, one of the strings open, like the bottom E, and just capo oh, on the yeah, second cool. fret. So you've got like a drop D sound. But the first thing I did was do that because it's always the testament of a guitar. But I was just really in love with it. And I just, it's, I've toured with it for the last two and a half years. We, we took it on the road with Paul Kelly and did a, a freedom ride tour of a song we'd written together. Mm-hmm. And, um, and this guitar just became the number one. And I'm, I'm, I'm totally still in love with it. I think it's got a lot of miles in it now. It's had the new frets and um, I really just love the feel of it. It stays in tune and you don't have to retune it when you've got a capo on on the fourth fret or whatever either. The intonation yeah, is right. just perfect, you know. So I think that's what's really sucked me into Takamini's over the years. I've tried... Martins, I got a D28, uh, 1969 D28, which is lovely too. Couldn't really keep it in tune as much as I'd like to because it was quite old and the machine heads probably needed work, but it's a great riding guitar. Mm-hmm. And I've got a DeGrucci uh, acoustic guitar that was made by uh, a fellow that we've since lost, Brian DeGrucci, in, in Adelaide. And um, that's one of the best acoustics, probably the best acoustic sounding guitar that I've got in, in my little humble collection here. And I've okay. written probably most of my records on that guitar too. So, And it's, it's a wonderful guitar. It's just handmade. Lots of love, and it looks like a D45, actually, but it just is so loud and, and made with a lot of love. Yeah, for writing, does it, does it feel like that's always your go-to? Yeah, I think that the writing, it, sometimes it just depends on where it strikes you, but if I take a guitar down to Melbourne, say, and I'm going to write with someone, or I go to Sydney or whatever, um, I'll generally have a, a Takamini because they fly good. Um, they really are. I've got another one that's like a bluegrass-style one as well that I've, I've played for years and um, it's got a really big, thick neck, and um, it was designed by a lot of bluegrass pickers in America, and I still use that guitar a lot to write because I see it as a double-threat guitar. It plugs in great, mm-hmm. and it also is, is quite loud. It's, it's probably easily as loud as my Martin, and I take that around with me a lot if I'm going to fly uh, interstate and stuff like that. It's a, it's a really solid guitar. You'd never break the neck on it because anyone that knows those bluegrass Takaminis, they've got a neck bigger than a baseball bat, and they take a real whole lot of getting used to, but um, I've just had that refretted too. But if I go out to my farm and I invite some songwriters up, it might be like a Cole Buchanan or I get uh, Pete Dennehy to come up with me and do some writing around my table. Mm-hmm. I then take my DeGrucci and you know one of the Takaminis that's the one I've been taking on the road and I'll, I'll, I'll just spread instruments out everywhere. You put a banjo here, you put an electric guitar over there with an amp and pedals in the corner. And whatever it takes, takes the mood, you just go and work on and just uh, get hold of, you know, and I just love that. 
That's very cool. You've um yeah you've written with some great writers. I noticed um Don Don Walker's all over your latest album as well. Yeah, yeah, writing with Don is is amazing. He's um he's been a mate for a long time. We, we share a hometown of Grafton, so when I first yeah, met okay. him, yeah, I, he said to me, "I'd like to you to come over and have a cup of tea and and say good day." And I said, "Yeah, no worries." And when I got over there, um, he said, "Now." All the, my name being Daly, of course. He said, "Now, do you know Terry Daly? Do you know Bunny Daly?" <laughs> and and I, I said, "Yeah, they're all my relations." And he said, "Well, I went to school with all of them guys, you know." And, and it was just a real general catch up. But then uh, cool. um, we sat sat around um, at his place in Sydney there and started to just you know sh- workshop a few bits and pieces. And oh, geez, he was good to write with. He just um just a wonderful thinker, and he really loves lyrics. And he'll take a lot of time on his lyrics. And sometimes you'll stare at the page. And make you feel like you're not doing anything, Matt, and you start feeling like you, maybe your idea is not as good as you thought. <laughs> and then, and then he'll blurt out like three or four lines that are just killer. And then you yeah. go, "Oh, okay, I just had to wait for that." <laughs> wow! But he's just an incredible guy to write with. Same with um, uh, Colin Buchanan's the same. Yeah. Um, he, he's he's just a wonderful workshopper as well. He's the sort of guy that would chuck something on the table for you, and you start with the first verse. And he always lets you have the first verse to see where the song's going to go and if you've got a chorus. And then he's the sort of fellow that's like just one of those people that pats a footy player on the back before you run back on after you've had a spell, you know? And, yeah. and that's the sort of writer he is. He just gets you in the mood first. Um, you run in and make the first tackle, and then he's on the team with you, and you, you, next thing you know, you're collaborating. And Paul Kelly's a different kettle of fish as well. I mean, Paul... I took down the idea about wanting to write about the Freedom Ride a couple of years ago with him because because of it was a school project. So, you know, we sat across the table and um, wrote about that and we've written many, many things together over many years and had a few singles together and it's always been a learning curve for me, like a masterclass when I sit down with any of these blokes. I hope you are enjoying today's interview. Now, this podcast is brought to you by The Pedal Movie, a feature-length film all about effects pedals created by the music gear Mark Place Reverb. Now, you know we love guitar pedals here on the Guitar Speak podcast, and we're super excited on the release of this film. The Pedal Movie explores how effects pedals and their builders have shaped modern music and guitar playing over time, from the fuzz pedal experiments of the Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix, through the shoegaze and indie rock of the 90s, and up to the modern day use of effects. Reverb also speaks with builders and leaders from more than 50 pedal brands to answer the big question, how did guitar pedals get so big? Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play and Vudu. For more info, check out thepedalmovie.com. Today's episode is also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by master guitar teacher Joe Elliott. Now, I was a beta tester for the course, and as a music educator myself, I was very impressed by the logical layout and format of the course. Heavyweight guitarists such as Brett Garsett and Greg Koch have also endorsed the program, so check it out at www.fretboardbiology.com. Okay, back to our interview. You've worked with a lot of amazing musicians and you've toured with a lot of amazing musicians. You, you comment on, uh, on your latest album, you've got that tune Smoked with Willie and Merle talking about touring with the Highwaymen. <laughs> yeah. What's that like? What's that like bumping into your musical heroes? Well, look, the first thing I suppose with, um, and I've been telling the stories on the road, so it's been wonderful to be able to look back and go, I never would have first of all dreamed of meeting them, let alone play on, on the same bill as them. But 
Um, when I first met Johnny Cash, it was phenomenal because we, we got five gigs through Sony Music when I was actually first signed to them. And because, because these guys were coming out, they said, oh, we need a country support, and they put my name forward. And I think their management liked what I was doing, so they put me on. And the first dressing room I got, I got a chance to go and knock on was Johnny Cash's, you know, and he was right next door to me at the, Sydney, at the old Sydney Entertainment Centre. And Matt, you know, I mean, I, I listened to all John's records and I listened to all Willie's records and I'm a mad Willie Nelson fan. And I, I think that when you get a chance to be even in the same room or in the same catering area as them, you, it, it's all very surreal, you know. But I, I showed Willie how to play didgeridoo. That was very cool while he, he smoked a big hot one. <laughs> yeah. And... Um, <laughs> And, you know, with Merle Haggard, um, it was amazing. We toured all, the whole tour in Australia, pretty much with him. We did about 12 shows. And then at the the last show at the Rest Point Casino in Hobart, he said, right, grab a bottle of Jack Daniels and come upstairs with your guitar, you guys. We're going to have a little play. And I thought, we were, we were getting on famous with him for the whole trip because he just loved the, the fact that we were passionate about his music and all, all that he's done. But then we get this offer to come up and sit in a circle with him, you know, and um, and play and sing and I'll, I'll never forget that. I'll be skiting to my grandkids about that, that event. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's my, my all-time hero musically, really, um, asking you up to do that. And, and he loved the same magical cigarettes as Willie as well. So, okay. <laughs> so I had to put that in the book, of, of course, and then I wrote a song about it as well. So, yeah, it's, just, it's surreal, mate, but it really is something that you never forget when you get a chance to meet your heroes, and I'm very privileged to have done that. Is there anyone still around working that you'd love to meet that you haven't, you haven't crossed paths with yet? Oh look, I've met him, but I'd love to work with Vince Gill. He's one of my favourite okay. people. I yep. just, I just think he's just so musical. I mean, he's probably too busy now. He's just joined the Eagles, apparently. So, I don't know whether we'll get a look in there. Okay. But, um, <laughs> but he's 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 a monster telecaster player and the mm. most amazing, beautiful tenor singer. Um, if ever there was a chance to do something with some of the artists that are in America right now, he, he he's my favourite. He's just a triple threat. He writes a great song plays amazing guitar and he's just a, a singer to die for he also plays in a band called the time jumpers so if ever you got any time to, to look them up on on youtube you should look up the time jumpers with him okay. singing and playing um they they do a monday night gig uh in i think it's third and lindsley in nashville and a lot mm -hmm. of our friends that listen overseas will know exactly what gig that is and um it's yep. just amazing to see him play yeah cool you um well speaking of nashville you spent a few years there tell me what was that like yeah, well, we um we ended up packing up the family in 2010 to go over there and, and live with the kids for a little while. We did about four or five months there. Yeah. Um, other than that, I used to just do trips over to write oh, okay. and, yeah. and to record and that as well, which I really, really loved. And I, I really enjoyed the musical community there. You know, Matt, you, you can meet uh, musicians and singer-songwriters everywhere you go. And it's about the same size as Brisbane to me. It's got a big river that runs through it, about the same population, roughly, pretty okay. spread out place. But it's just full of musicians, you know, and incredible musicians, incredible writers, great producers, and really, really cool studios. So it's a wonderful place to get creative, that's for sure. Hey, I'd love to talk about um, your electric guitar rig and electric guitars with you. Before you, before we hop off the acoustic, though... Um, yep. When you talk about Takaminis, I seem to remember there was a Troy Casadaly signature model a few years back. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they might have only sold about 70 of those, but they were, they were, I'm looking at the one right across my studio now. It's a little tiny yeah. parlor, parlor guitar. Yeah, yeah, they had and, a really cool um, body. Yeah, a little tiny body, and it was just such a, a trip to have something that you could share with everybody that you really love to play. Yeah. And I, I stuck with the little parlor thing for a long, long time because as a finger picker, 
I think yeah. parlor guitars are just perfect. You know, they okay. they really are. They they really lend themselves to that. And yeah. so I had that out for a while, and I discontinued it after a while because I thought I I kept wanting to change guitars and that as well as you do. Yeah, you get sure. you get a sort of you know you want to try a dreadnought for a while, and they said, oh well, you know, we'll, we'll discontinue it because you're obviously interested in other Takaminis as well. So mm-hmm. you know, very much uh, a wonderful guitar that was out for a few years as well, and and a few people have got them. I think they still enjoy them. Yeah, cool. Yeah, they look great, and yeah, the little TCD on the twelfth fret—that's yeah, pretty special. it was just very, very special. And I actually stole the font from Steve Warner, who's another great guitar player singer. Oh, yeah, and yeah, um, yeah. he had a, he had his own um, uh, signature model, which was like a black sun, a black guitar with a really nice cutaway. And his model was just really, really cool as well. And nice. and his font was, was pretty much like mine. I said, look, if there's anything like Steve Warren's font, I'm happy with it. So put that put that in and let's go. <laughs> awesome, man. That's cool. That's very cool. Hey, you mentioned uh, playing banjo. Is that you playing on This River Is My Soul from, from the last record? Yeah, yeah. The little tiny musical inserts were yeah, just me sitting prelude. in the studio. Yeah, and I wanted to, I wanted to do that because there were certain things that I wanted to lead into the, the song afterwards in the same key. I'd never mm-hmm. done real little preludes before, but I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll get the, I've got a Bellbird banjo that I bought, which finally is, I bought one that stays in tune. I've had a couple. Uh-huh. And uh, this one is a locally made Brisbane one. Um, okay. And it's just a beautiful, beautiful banjo. So I take it on the road, play a few songs, but I yeah. really enjoy the, the, the texture and tone a banjo brings, even though I'm a very basic player. Mm-hmm. Um, I really do love what it brings to to the show, and also what it brings to records when you get a chance to do little little ad lib bits like that. Yeah, cool. Yeah, oh, it sounds beautiful on that track. It's, it's lovely. No, thanks for that, brother. Cheers. I wasn't half sure. I had to have a couple of listens. At first, I thought maybe it was a, a resonator or something because you're not really laying into it. You, you've you've got quite a gentle touch on that track, at least. So it hasn't oh, got all I... that super banjo attack. No, no, no. I think some of it, it could be layered with an, an actual Dobro that I've got here as well. Oh, okay, you, you might be, I think you're actually right. That's very good that you've picked that up. I think, um, yeah, I, I've got a little um, a Dobro here that's only one of the cheap, like a hound dog ones or whatever, a little Chinese one, but it really is a great texture when you're putting songs together just as a, another noise, you know, and I really uh-huh. love the sound of it. And um, that might have been what you heard. I, I sometimes just throw a capo on that, put it in front oh, of a reasonable okay. mic or something, and then yep. record away, you know, and I, I really love the sound of that as well. Yeah, cool. Are you in um, standard tuning on, on those guitars? On, or do you yeah, use I've ne- open? Yeah. yeah, I've never really gotten into the open tunings. I should maybe just to sort of, you know, extend my mind out a little bit, but I think yeah. what I like to do is to be able to go from guitar to other guitars and have them all tuned in 440 at least, you know you're sort of going to be able to get a noise out of it without too much thought. Yeah, um, sure. I, I, I play a little bit of mandolin at times too when I'm sort of writing songs just as motifs. Uh-huh. And getting your head around a mandolin in standard tuning is really, really tough as well. You've got to really rethink it. And yeah, um, yeah. so that's why I like keeping a lot of the other instruments in the studio here just in 440 mm-hmm. so it doesn't confuse me too much, man. Yeah. All right. Hey, um, <laughs> let's talk about some of the noisy stuff. Do you want to uh, grab your electric? I've got it right here. And um, so... I'm I'm just plugged in. I've got an old '66 Telecaster um, that I've had for a long, long time. Awesome. And wow. and I've got uh, who have I got now? Um, Rod Slider, who makes these amazing pickups for Strats mainly. But I asked him to send me a, a set of his Tele pickups up, so I threw uh-huh. them in, and I threw them into this guitar actually because this is a really good yardstick guitar. The old pickups that came in this guitar are really microphonic now, so they squeal okay. and carry on. Sure. So I took them out. And I got Rod Slider to, to send me a set of his standard telly ones up, and I found they were a bit hot for me, so I mm-hmm. sent back um, the original pickups out of this guitar to Rod, 
and he wound them to the same output as the original ones. Wow. And awesome. and so they they wound like a late sixties. So it's um it's quite a a twangy old thing, you know, but mm-hmm. it's it's actually um it's 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 exactly how it was without the microphonic nature when you overdrive it, you know. So when I when I actually hear it I chuck a bit of delay on and um and I'm plugged into a bandmaster amp, you know, those old bandmaster heads. Yep. Um, this is an old blackface one from 1966. And I had a bloke called uh, Marty Johnson from Dr. Johnson Amps put it into a, a, a lovely little cabinet for me. So now it's a combo. Oh, okay. And okay. You don't see stuff like that very often, I know. But, I, I, you know, once again, I think I'm too much of a nerd at times. But it's a beautiful <laughs> blackface amp. It's 40, 40 watts. And it's a, it's a combo that's just about as big as a deluxe, mate. And it's 40 watts of clean power. So... That's what I'm plugged into over there, and um, and the, the telly end of that thing as as a foundation sort of sound with a bit of delay on is like. So it's just um a pretty straight old telly tone, and that's what a lot of us chase as country players. You're always going for something clean to get some headroom, and then you can build on things from there. Yeah, man, that's beautiful. We've um. Yeah, quite a few of our guests have been uh, using the sliders pickups. We've heard great things about them. Well, I think what Rod's done is he, he just... I've, I've got two, two strats with his um, 59s in them as well, and, and they're the best strat pickups I've ever heard in my life. And I, and I don't get given them. I'm not endorsed by Rod. I just buy them because yeah. they're the best. Um, Peter Northcote put me onto them. I ran into him in Pete's Musician Market in Newtown, uh-huh. and he said to me, have you ever tried sliders pickups? And I went, no, I've never heard of them. And he said, put it into your phone and... and, and um, I thought I'd test it out with other people and I got in touch with Diesel about it and, and Mark said, oh, I've got a set in my Strat and I love them. And he said, and I believe Mossy's got them in a couple of his Strats as well, oh, wow. playing, playing for Chisel. And I thought, well, if they're, they're all, Peter Northcote and all those guys are great session players and yeah. amazing, amazing guitarists. And um, if they say they're okay, they've got to be good. So I, I tracked Rod down and I said, mate, I, I'd need to try a set of your 59s, I believe. And I threw them in this strata here at home and I haven't put it down since. I took it back on the road this year. I didn't even take a telly on the road this year for this particular show. I just yeah. love the sound of his strap pickup so much. So it's just a wonderful thing. Excellent, man. That's cool. I didn't know Mossy and, and Diesel were playing the sliders as well. That's very, very cool. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's sort of... Um, Diesel's been a wealth of knowledge with pedals with me. And um, mm-hmm. I looked out at my pedal board and I always see things that he's put me onto. And, yep. um, you know, it's just wonderful to know that you've got these people every now and then you text them. You don't want to be a nerd or anything, but you do have to make sure you're, you're getting in touch with people who try stuff. And uh, Mossy and I were just talking the other night out there at uh, the Big Red Bash at Birdsville mm-hmm. about some of the pedals that work for us, you know. And um, he still has a 100-watt Marshall head, you know. There's not a lot changes about Ian, and I love that. Nice. What's, uh, what's on your pedal board at the moment? Well, um, it's it's like a little fly rig, so it goes into a little tiny miniature uh, polytune thing. I go straight into one of those Cali 76 uh, compressors, and I love that thing. Um, Origin effects do a great job, but I went for the real basic one, just the three knob, you know, Matt. I yeah, don't yeah. like too, too many knobs because I have yep. to have a compressor as a yep. country act, but then it goes into another little boost thing that they make in Nashville that Brent Mason put, put me onto, and it's an MK423. And that goes into an RC boost as well. And they're two different colours of clean sound. And I love that. And so then it goes into an old 80s uh, TS9 Ibanez tube screamer. And then I've got a little pog, like a, a nano pog thing that I use for single line stuff at different times. Okay. Um, so that's, that's the in... octave shifter, hey? Yeah, yeah. It's a really cool little groove. I mean, if you, if you sort of... Um... 
I just love the fact that it thickens out the sound sometimes. So you might, you might, when you press them, without it, it sort of sounds. Put it on and it goes. Just a great yeah, cool. noise. It's really fat. And then, then Diesel put me onto the Super Trem years and years ago and he said, you've got to try the full-tone Super Trem. It's got the three buttons, on, off. Uh, the speed can be halved and doubled. And then it's got the hard and soft. And I, I just love the sound of the fact that you've got... And you can slow it down to something more creepy. And then you can harden and soft it as well, which makes it sound like an old, an old sort of golden tone. just really love the sound of that thing it's it's, it's, a, it's a wonderful pedal then i've got just a, a, a simple um i think they're called an frv reverb and a delay a tap tempo um echo park delay and the okay, echo park yeah. is great because it's tiny and you can actually tap tempo as well and there's not a lot of real good band for your buck um digital and analog delay switchable that are that small to me okay yep nice now is that usually set up for slap that's sort of what we were hearing before i think yeah, well, normally I'll sort of have it set so that it's, um, that's about it there. And that's sort of like that. But I, I do like the fact that you can actually get some really nice longer ones out of it. Well, the fact that it's just it's a very very um usable pedal and it doesn't just have to be slapback for a country player I mean, if you get into something that you have to play some bigger solo you can actually slow that lovely delay down mm-hmm. and it's got an analog setting on it which i use as well which i really love nice can you show us um those two boosts the different kind of vibe you get from each of those yeah well look i'll turn the, the comp off but the first boost is that that one that Brent uses and um, it's a really just a transparent one but it's a little bit brighter so it cuts through and so yeah. that's and then you got the RC which is a little bit darker and it's EQable as well everyone will know the RC boost that exotic um, effects make um, it's yeah. got a good EQ so if you come across a dodgy sort of amp and you've flown in you can actually pretty it up with this thing, which I think is really, really good. And I just I just like both of them. A lot of the soloing things that I might do when I'm playing live, because I'm the only guitar player in the band, will normally um, be just the uh, the MK M24 thing and the Cali 76. I just like them together as a clean tone. And it boosts oh, yeah. up nice and fat. And if you've got a headroom out of your amp, um, it normally gets you out of trouble. Yeah, cool. With your, with your fly rig, so you're just taking guitars and pedals? Or do you get to take amps on some of these dates, or or you just well, uh, stuck with the backline? Yeah, well, you, sometimes you're stuck with the backline. But if I've if I've got the choice and I've got um, the room to take something on board, I have taken a uh, a basement amp with me on board, believe it or not, <laughs> <laughs> because it's 50 clean watts, and um, yeah. it's a 1968, I think this one is. And I, I had wow. uh, Marty, I had Marty um, Johnson, uh, Doctor Johnson amps, go through the whole thing for me, and. I, it was just amazing to see the difference it made between 
when I had it and I thought it was running pretty good until he got his hands on it and he went through it and got rid of all the, he calls it pus and corruption out of it, <laughs> all the people <laughs> who've tried to fix it over the years since 1968. And even the, even the other night I took it out on the plane with me. Um, we were lucky enough to get on a charter plane out to Birdsville okay. and, oh, and I carried it, carried it on board with me and took it out to the gig and Diesel put me onto these little adapter things you can actually use, their female to female speaker adapter. And you can come out of the back of this and go into whatever speaker you want to use on stage. And I think there was a, uh, a Hot Rod Deluxe with, with a nice big 12 in it. Okay, and it's used to yeah. 40, 40 watts. So I set the homage. I've got an, a switchable homage that Marty put on it for me as well. So I can switch it to yeah, nearly nice. any box. It goes 4, 8, 16. And you've got your tone with you. And with the pedals that I fly with, I try and make sure I get it down to the size that I use on the road as well. And I take okay. them everywhere, Matt. You know, I, I love portable pedals, but I like to have what I really can use, you know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Awesome, man. Let's um, let's hear some of that tube screamer. How do you like to use that thing? Yeah, well, look, I mean, I, I love the fact that tubey on the back pickup of a telly, I reckon, is a is a fantastic noise. And sometimes I'll stack it with the other things, but by itself, it's a pretty plain old sounding. <laughs> But when you stack it with um, with the old RC booster, it sort of it takes on another like a bit more of an animal sound, you know. So it's and I think it's um it's a really usable pedal even though it's so old from the 80s and you, you think to yourself no one's using them anymore there's so many different versions of tube screamers now mm-hmm. um, but I still I still found myself I've been through a whole chase your tail went through the OCD thing uh, yeah. I, I went through the Nobles thing I've still got a, a couple of vintage Nobles that I love but I just kept coming back to this one old TS9 I don't know I've had it since the 80s and yeah, it's, cool. it's it's got a lot of wear and tear on it and stuff I'll have to send you a photo but it's, a, it's an honest looking old thing but I just love the sound of it, you know. I think it's even on the front pickup when you um, when you're playing with it as well. It's just got a real nice tone. That's just those sliders as well. I think um, yeah, beautiful. They're not a lot of output, so they, they they still maintain their clarity a little bit more, which which I really like. Yeah, cool. Is the um is the compressor permanently on in your rig, or you're kicking it in and out for different stuff? No, I'm kicking it in and out generally. I'm I, the okay. thing I like about it is that it it just um it just really does give you a beautiful boost when you are going to solo. So if you're riding on the MK thing and you're really happy with the way it sounds. Yeah. That that Cali just takes it up that one more notch, you know. That's without it. And then when you engage it as well, it's like... Oh, yeah. Real fat and um, it just gives it a bit of body. And I think that Cali has really surprised me because it's actually really, like, well-built. I think Origin Effects have done a great job with that, actually. Because um, I used to use the old CS2, as you know, and they can be pretty hissy and noisy, but still a great yeah, yardstick sure. compressor, you know, and... Yeah. Once again, I've done the Chase Me Tail with the compressors as every country artist would have. They've been through the Keely stages, two knob and four knob. I've been through CMAT mods, you know, <laughs> the, whole, the whole gamut. <laughs> Ross, old Ross ones. I've been through the Analog Man one. And then suddenly someone up here in, in Brizzy, I, I think it was um, someone at, at a shop that, that just put me onto it and said, have you ever tried these things? 
And I said, look, I haven't. And, and they said, you've got to try one of the Cali 76s. So I thought, you know, they're very expensive pedals. I mean, they can be 450 bucks for a, a basic compressor. But when you plug it in, I think you know what it, it's supposed to emulate an 1176 uh, compressor on a, on a pedal board. And um, yeah, when right. I plugged it in, I, I only run it really subtly. I don't like squishy sounds and stuff like that. But I, I really do think it's a great comp, you know. Cool. Yeah, oh, it sounds great, man. It sounds so good. I hope it sounds good at the other end because <laughs> it's bloody loud here. <laughs> I wonder what my neighbours think of me anyway. <laughs> Are they used to it by now? What's that? Are your neighbours used to a bit of noise? Yeah, yeah. There's an old lady that lives down the back. Um, she often says to me, oh, I always know when you're home because I can hear the guitar. <laughs> and I, uh, you know, I, I don't think I play too bad, but it's, it's not enough to get any complaints. We've never had any complaints. But look, it is nice to be able to have a space where you can come down and turn an amp up onto four or five. And, and these old blackface fenders that I've got down here, on four or five, they're in, they let you know they're in town. So, uh -huh. you know, I've got little Princetons I use sometimes when it's like a little bit later if I'm recording or something like that. And yeah, um, nice. I, it just, it's just really nice to have a, a nice array of, of things that sound, sound like you want them to, you know? Yeah, cool. So what other amps are you running? So you've got your, um, you've got your new uh, Bandmaster as a combo. You just mentioned uh, the Princeton, which is a great little amp. Yeah, what I've else got, is I've got in a, the uh, shed there. Um, there's a there's the basement, the '69 basement, a uh, '68 basement, which is fantastic. I run that into a oh, box, yeah, yeah. Uh, just a yep. Vox box, and that's a, a wonderful thing. Um, I remember ages ago I swapped uh, an old '68 Deluxe that I had that I bought years and years ago from a mate of mine from Twang Central over there in Adelaide, Terry O'Reilly, and mm -hmm. I'd been sitting on this old '68 and playing it and playing it. It was a wonderful. Deluxe Reverb amp, and then I went past um, Global Vintage, and they had a beautiful blackface one, 66 in the window. And I said to him, I said, mate, you know, with a little bit of cash, would you like to do a swap for that blackface um, for my 68 at home? And he goes, oh yeah, sure. He said, no one's going to come through here and spend three and a half thousand dollars on an amp. <laughs> I said, okay. I said, let's do the swap. So I packaged wow. them all up, and it yeah. didn't come with its original speaker. It's actually blown, so I need to get it reconed. But okay. it is one of the most beautiful things I've ever played through, and um, I don't take that anywhere. I just um, I record with it and stuff as well. Um, okay. That that in itself is just you know probably the the jewel in the crown here. But I've got a, a, an old mate of mine that used to make me some amps up here as well called Mal O'Neill, and he used to make me these hybrid amps like a fly in fly out head that I've still used as well, and he made um, a, a, like a, an AC15 clone for me, which is a gorgeous amp. And I've mm -hmm. just got a, a, a British green back in that thing. And, and it's another noise too. When you need something a little bit more bright and not as warm and, and, um, and clean as a, a Fender sound, um, it's a really good other noise, especially with that green back in it, the British green back. So Mal made me two or three amps that I still have here. And they're just wonderful, wonderful articulate sounding amps. They're not just like ones you'd go and buy at a shop. They sound like there's love in them. And that's what I like about most of the little amps that I've got here is they've been worked to a point where... I suppose they just sound like they got uh, some care taken with them when they were put together. I've I've had a little uh, beautiful blackface Princeton here that I've had for a long time, and and to get that back to square one was interesting to see what Marty Johnson pulled out of that, and <laughs> and once again he called it all that all that pus and corruption. He said I got had to get rid of all this stuff. He said I don't know what people were thinking when they were trying to fix this thing or what technicians were doing, but it has the original old speaker in there, and but when he got it back to it's the non reverb one, the old one. And when he got it back to original, the sound of it, I reckon, Matt, was just incredible. 
and you uh-huh. can fill a you can fill a room with it. It's so loud for twelve watts. You can run it on twelve, and it's still not really farting or anything. It just sounds just beautiful tone, you know. So, yeah, well. having having a tech that you can actually get things to, and know full well it's going to come back better is always a, a real treat, I reckon. And um and and someone trustworthy too. You know they're going to do the best they can for you. Yeah, nice. Very cool. What other electric guitars do you have in your collection? So. The bits and pieces that I have, mate, um, I decided this year to put together a mongrel strat to, to take on the road because I thought, you know, why don't I try and put something together, you know? And, of course, it had to have slider pickups in it, so I would bought this old Japanese strat, which had a really quite a chunky neck and like an L-series neck, and um, I had the slider pickups already put into this really nice uh, turquoise guard, and I bought an old Squire um, Stratocaster, it must have been made in Indonesia or somewhere like that, but it was really feather light, the body, and that's all I really wanted was to take the body and um, and put everything on it. I bought that at Port Macquarie, and so I um I brought it home and started uh, inventing stuff, and then I, I came up with this little guitar that I took on the road this year, and just the sound of it, Matt, it's just um. <laughs> It's never been set up even. I've been meaning to get it back down to Piers Crocker to, to make sure it's set up properly, but I just threw it all together with all the screws and bits and pieces and soldered it up, and um, I think I'm getting to be a tinkerer in my old age, mate. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I, I really did, I really liked the, um, the out-of-phase sounds that it has, especially with this comp. And when you've got... It's just softer, and um, we we did a lot of acoustic stuff this year where we were sitting and playing, and it just really suited the gig, and um, I loved it all year, and it's become a favourite guitar. I don't think I can hardly put it down these days, but like I was saying to you before, you can actually make it sound pretty country if you do put the slap on it and um, and put the actual MK, that 423 thing. So you can you can tell it up yeah. if you really want to. That's cool. <laughs> I always think they're pretty good. I think Leo did a great job with both of them. <laughs> I reckon he did. I reckon he did. I'm always knocked yeah. out how great everything was by you know the end of the fifties. You had the Strat, the Telly, the Les Paul, uh, the three three five. I mean, what else did you need? Well, yeah, everyone sort of covered off on these classics, and and that's why all the reissues I think sell so well because they just got it right the first time. You yeah. Know? I just think it's really interesting. I mean, I'm not really a big collector mm-hmm. uh, of, of guitars as such. The only other guitar I've got is a 67 Tele that I, I don't really take out that much because the 66, the red one, is, is just a good, really good workhorse guitar. Uh-huh. Yeah, and cool. I play it everywhere I can. I'm not afraid of um, taking it away. It's not really collectible. It's, a, it's, it's had a refinish in its life sometime back in the 60s. Right. And it, but, but I like light guitars. I don't like real heavy ones, mate. Mm-hmm. I like... Um, One's around six or six six point eight or seven pounds is perfect. I reckon for a Strat or a Tele. Yeah. Very cool. What what do you string the um, electrics up with? Oh, they're only ten to forty six, and um, I yep. normally just go and buy a box of Diodario and um, and put them on. They seem to be the ones that you don't don't arrive with rust. But I've I've just discovered those elixirs for the acoustic. Oh yeah. Um, yep. 
Oh my god! I, when I had this thing refretted um, I, and put those thirteen to fifty sixes on it, um, I could not believe the life I got out of those particular strings. And they're the phosphorus ones or the phosphor bronze or whatever they are, but they really are an incredible string. And um, I think more people should get onto them, especially working musicians that are doing the four hour gigs and the four nights a week. Um, you just can't afford to be replacing expensive acoustic strings every every couple of days. And yeah, sure. These these can put up with a fair bit of sweat. So for anyone that's out there looking for ones like that, I'd I'd give those elixirs a go. They're pretty good and they lasted a hell of a long time on my tour. That's for sure. Yeah, cool. Very nice. And what about picks? What what sort of size picks are you into? Yeah, well, I've got those. Um, I think they're they're a Tortex design. Uh huh. And they're, they're the blue one. I'm not sure what size it is, but it's pretty thick. And um, I think Fender had some of them as, as well, but I, I just had some personalised ones made up out of the Tortex blue. It's like a, a sort of a light blue colour. Mm-hmm. And um, you can hand them out to kids. Kids are always after picks, and I love giving them out because yeah. um, they're, they're not only a keepsake, but they're, they're really a good hard pick. I, I try and encourage kids to get off those soft picks. Yeah, I see yeah. kids sometimes come in and um, they come to Soundcheck and ask a few questions, and they they bring in these really, really thin, wafer-thin Jim Dunlop things, and I say mm-hmm. to them, look, First thing you have to do is to, to get any tone out of that little guitar, especially an acoustic, is have a, a, a little bit more of a stronger pick, you know, or a bit more of a firm pick. And, and they, they happily take them off you and have a strum and notice the difference, which is great. So yep. it works out really good, I reckon. Yeah, cool. Nice. Troy, what's the, um, what's the rest of 2017 look like for you? Oh, look, we've just finished this tour, brother, so a lot of festivals. And um, yep. now that we've finished the Things I Carry Around tour, I'm just really relieved, actually. We get a chance to just like relax and play some really interesting outdoor shows. We're about to go down to play the Blues on Broadbeach show. Uh-huh. Uh, not the uh, Blues, uh, the Country Music, Broadbeach Country Music Festival. Yep. And um, that's, that's always a real trip to do. It's, it, they basically work it out so that it's all free. So many, many festivals at the end of the year, yep. um, just th- throughout until Christmas is going to be fantastic fun. And I can play live. And I think as long as I'm playing live, I'll be happy, mate. I, my wife knows how much of a a stickler I am for getting out there and having a strum and we also do some traditional country gigs under the name of Tex Dubbo and um, we just get a line up different line up of musicians together with um, Michelle Rose on, on steel guitar and oh, awesome. this weekend we're using Mick Orbeck on fiddle and oh, it's yeah, really yeah, traditional yeah. real real traditional country yeah, and cool. people enjoy coming along and I don't play any of my songs I just play all of the old you know Merle Haggard Waylon Jennings George Jones um, it's just incredible fun to play all those old songs that's great <laughs> very very cool that's that's awesome you've been um i feel like saying you've been super busy and and uh got a lot of stuff done but you've always been that way since since again those mid 90s there's been just a slew of records and and touring and yeah you're obviously still having a great time doing it so yeah yeah look I, I don't think i've ever never lost the passion for it matt you know so i'm yeah. just really happy that um i still don't see it as a job you know i still yeah, feel well. that I can nerd out down here. Even today, I was resoldering up a Telecaster and changing a bunch of pickups in that, uh-huh. um, just to see what it sounds like. I'm, I'm always still mucking around with stuff, but I've, I think this this last 18 months, and I'm, there are a lot of guitar players out there that are going to be saying, "Oh, he's talking out his bum now." But um, there's a lot of guitar players out there that that know that we always chase our tails. But this year, I've been really, really happy with the amps and pedals and guitar combinations for once instead of having to go and feel like you've got to take a different one out every week, you know? Yeah, cool. Um, it's just nice to be settled, I think, in your, in your, in your pedal arrangement and, um, and the guitars that you're using and the pickups in those. And I haven't had the soldering iron on a Strat since I got Rod Slider's ones in there. So, <laughs> you know, it's a, it's, it's, that's, that's a big proven thing for me because I was always very fussy with Strats. Yeah, right. 
Very cool. Well, man, it sounded awesome. Just stuff you were playing before. That's beautiful. Oh, cheers, brother. Cheers. I love it. Great. Well, mate, thank you so much for your time. It's been really fun talking about your career. And from a very guitar-centric point of view, it's been fun to uh, find out a bit more about your background and, and uh, what you're still doing on, on the six strings. No, well, thank you very much for your time. I'm, I'm really glad my wife, my beautiful wife, Laurel, got me onto this podcast. And, I, and Matt, I just nerded straight out and started listening to one after the other and <laughs> just got totally engrossed. And I thought, I, I need to talk to Matt as soon as I can. That's so thanks great. for having me. And, um, and thanks for doing it the way we're, we're doing it over the phone. I think it's been awesome, brother. Yeah, cool. Mate, my, my great pleasure. It's been, it's been a lot of fun. No worries, brother. No worries. Thank you very much, Aim. Do you want to play us out with something? Yeah, why not? Why not? Yeah. Beautiful. Have a good one, brother. <laughs> Talk soon, Matt. Thank you. Thanks, Troy. Thanks, mate. See you, mate. Catch All up. Right. Bye. All right, there you go. I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. Now, this podcast was brought to you by The Pedal Movie, the feature-length film all about effects pedals created by Reverb. Reverb's The Pedal Movie is available now on iTunes, Google Play, and Vudu. For more information, visit thepedalmovie.com. The show was also brought to you by Fretboard Biology, the comprehensive online guitar course put together by ex-head of guitar at GIT, Joe Elliott. Check out fretboardbiology.com for more information. Alrighty then, you have been listening to the Guitar Speak podcast. My name is Matt Wakeling, and as the legendary German rocker Michael Schenker once told me, Keep rocking, keep on rocking. Keep on rocking indeed. Thanks for tuning in. I'll catch you next time. Bye now.